0: Referee begins the count again. Both Ooh. men are down. Look at the ring hole. Yeah, it looks like an art hey. canvas. Except that's not paint. That's blood. Well, it's Guerrero and Bradshaw's canvas for the time being. Referee's hurt and still They're getting nailed early by Guerrero in hurt me. The other ref got dropped early. I don't the way he is. Well, Bradshaw rolled out of the ring. Where's he going now? What is he going to do now? Oh, what Bradshaw just grabbed the championship. Oh. Well, Bradshaw just grabbed a steel chair. pair. Well, what's Bradshaw do here? No, again. Haven't he done enough damage? Oh, Bradshaw. No, 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 no. Well, Bradshaw's got the, the title behind his back. Yeah. He's got Bradshaw. the chair in my right hand. can't win the title if he's disqualified. they no, Cole, can't win it that Well, no, Bradshaw just oh, threw a no, chair in the ring. No, no. Well, the referee no, no. spotted it. Oh, yeah. I get it. Oh, oh I, I get it. Oh, I see. I, I get it. a betty. He's sent a betty. Title. Oh, and Eddie with a low blow. A low blow. The ref didn't see it. In fact, fired on Bradshaw. Not a, a real Eddie
1: With the title of the skull.
0: Oh. Eddie Guerrero. Has been disqualified. Wow. Eddie Guerrero with the title of the skull of Bradshaw. Wow. Can't believe this. And Eddie Guerrero oh is not God. through. Look at this. The one hand to Bradshaw. Shaw. Oh, man. Eddie Guerrero. Just a brutal. Just. Forget about the ref and the titles. Relentless white right hands by Eddie. Look at this. Just, oh man. Ring the bell. Bell still ring The Ring that thing all night. It don't matter. And another referee. More referees have come into the ring to, to separate Eddie Guerrero from, from John Bradshaw. The winner of this match is a result of a disqualification. John Bradshaw Mayfield! He doesn't win the title! No, no, I no, no. Eddie Guerrero keeps the championship. Well, he, but he gave victory, oh, He, he does! Well, and did he win. won! And wait he a won. minute! Eddie Guerrero! Title in hand! Don't oh, get oh, on the bang. skull of Bradshaw! Oh, Damn. Wow! Oh, no. Look at Eddie Guerrero! I got what you're saying And Eddie covered in his own blood. I've never seen anyone play this amount oh And again, God. the title goes to the skull. Wrestling fans, at this time, it gives me a great deal of pleasure to introduce what you have been waiting for. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is
1: the dirty dog darcy
0: so you can shut up and realize i am not the flavor of the month i am not the next big thing in the wwe i'm the only thing i'm the only thing that matters because i am the best in the world at what I do I'll say it again I'm the best in the world At what I do Do you understand what I'm saying to you Right now
1: And you're listening To the Dog House With me, the dirty dog Darcy Over at MainEventStatus.com What
0: the hell am I looking at? When does this happen in the movie? Now you're looking at now, sir. Everything that happens now is happening now. What happened to then? Past. When? Just now. Wear it now, now. Go back to then. What? Now. Now? Now. I can't. Why? I missed it. When? Just now. When will then be now? Soon.
1: And on this podcast, I talk about anything that's on my mind movies, wrestling, music, pop culture, politics, whatever.
0: We came, we saw, we kicked its ass. Did you see it? What is it? We got it. What is it? Will there be any more of them? I knew it. I'm surrounded by assholes.
1: Now let's get into the podcast. Keep firing, assholes. Or you could accept the fact that this city is headed for a disaster of biblical proportions. What do you mean biblical what
0: he means is old testament mr yes. mayor real wrath of god type stuff exactly. fire and brimstone coming down from the skies rivers and seas boiling 40
2: years of darkness earthquakes
0: volcanoes the dead rising from the grave human sacrifice dogs and cats living together fastest hysteria enough i get the point the cream of the crop nobody does it better
1: If you're looking for an impact player, if you're looking for business to pick up, you've downloaded the right podcast. This is the Doghouse Podcast. I am the Dirty Dog Darcy. Thank you guys for listening. And on today's podcast, I am covering the very first of three, the first part of the trilogy, I suppose, of Eddie Guerrero versus John Bradshaw-Layfield from 2004. Tonight, I am covering their match from Judgment Day 2004 on Sunday, May 16th from the Staples Center in Los Angeles, California with 18,722 jam-packed at the Staples Center to see Eddie Guerrero defend his WWE Championship against my favorite wrestler, John Bradshaw Layfield. To be honest, the reason why I wanted to review this match and talk about Eddie Guerrero to talk about John Bradshaw Layfield is because of the upcoming 2016 WWE draft. I was thinking, you know, most podcasts, wrestling podcasts out there, they'll be talking about you know, the draft and everything that comes with it. So I wanted to think about doing something different on my podcast. So I was thinking, what can I do It's different? And I was thinking, what better than talking about one of my favorite professional wrestlers, JBL, and what brought him to the dance? And I felt like it was this feud with Eddie Guerrero in 2004. I did some dirty little research in the hills. I did some YouTubing over the last few days. To figure out exactly where did JBL start to rise to the main event scene in 2004 happened, and I found a good YouTube video from SmackDown. It seemed like it was a SmackDown after the draft in 2004 because Paul Heyman, because Paul Heyman was a SmackDown general manager the week prior to, to this happening, to this first speech that JBL gave, and. On SmackDown, uh, Smackdown, Paul Heyman told the APA, Farouk and Bradshaw, that if they did not defeat the WWE Tag Team Champions of Scottie Tuhati and Rikishi, Ron Simmons was going to get fired. So, yeah, they did not win. APA didn't. JBL was the one who took the fall. And backstage, you know, JBL and Farouk challenged. Paul Heyman to fire them Paul Heyman only fired Farouk because he admired Bradshaw and saw a lot of potential in him so later on Farouk was asking Bradshaw if he was going to follow him walk out Bradshaw couldn't then the following week Bradshaw came out in suit and tie new themes sound to what we hear now without the stock market bell ringing JBL talked about that he has always been an impact player and in professional wrestling up to the week prior, he always thought wrestling was all about having fun, laughs, drinking beer, seeing the troops, and all that stuff. Then he said, then he finally realized that everything he's done in life, besides pro wrestling, he's been successful at it. He's been successful in the stock market. JBL said that seven years prior, he's been successful and turning a profit seven out of the seven years. He came out with a book, Have More Money Now, had his own radio show at that time starting up shortly around this feud starting. Was on Fox News for a little bit, and all that, so that was the groundwork to this, to, you know, JBL turning heel. JBL won the Great American Award when Kurt Angle became the SmackDown General Manager because of injury, Big Show choked, slammed push and pushed him off or something off like a concrete, I guess like backstage somewhere, uh, Kurt Angle fell off, I don't know, 10 feet or so, twisted his leg, his leg was in the cast, Kurt Angle became general manager. Kurt Angle was looking for a number one contender against Eddie Guerrero in his WWE title. JBL won Kurt Angle's Great American Award, which sets up JBL being the number one contender and I thought it was pretty cool for Judgment Day 2004 JBL gave two promos one backstage one in ring. and I felt like during this time JBL was figuring out his his promo style for his character John Bradshaw Layfield and I want to play his first promo backstage that I'll insert right now
2: my friends this is it I have been campaigning all up and down this great country of ours. And I tell you what I've found, honestly, is quite disturbing. I have found a country full of Eddie Guerreros. People who cut corners. Bottom feeders. Who look to people like me for a handout just to survive. And nowhere is this more prevalent than right here in Los Angeles. The city of angels. Now I'm not talking about all of you. Because there are some of you out there. Those that wash my car. Those that shine my alligator boots. Those that sell fruit along the highway. At least you're trying to make an honest living. What I'm talking about is the rest of you. You live by one simple creed. That is lie, cheat, and steal. That is Eddie Guerrero's America. That is not my America. I am winning this title tonight for John Bradshaw Layfield's America. An America that is indeed a meritocracy, where you get ahead by working hard and playing within the rules. In John Bradshaw Layfield's America, everybody speaks English. And people that are on welfare don't have eight or nine little greasy kids that overburden the system, that live all under one roof in some type of dysfunctional extended family. In John Bradshaw Layfield's America, criminals like Eddie Guerrero are prosecuted. You can only dream of that America as long as Eddie Guerrero is champion. Tonight, that is going to change. Tonight, it is judgment day for Eddie Guerrero. And I guarantee you this. I will be victorious.
1: I thought it was very apropos that JBL is talking about and John Bradshaw's Layfield America. I will not stand for people like Eddie Guerrero. People who lie, cheat, and steal the way to the top. Because 2004 was a highly well-known uh, campaign for uh, George W. Bush. So I felt like JBL was speaking a lot like he was on the campaign scene. And... For like a month after that, JBL would totally change up his promo ability, which I thought was pretty cool. And like I mentioned earlier before this first promo that, that I just played, JBL did, gave a second promo in or after he walked out before Eddie Grillo came out. And I felt like it was very sim- kind of similar to the first backstage promo, but different, kind of tying in more with the storyline of at a El Paso house show, Eddie Guerrero brought his family into the ring to celebrate after he won his match. Then JBL came down, and all but Eddie Guerrero's mom was able to escape the ring. JBL kind of put his hand on Eddie Guerrero's mom, which caused her to have a storyline-wise a heart attack, which she not did not have, by the way. But yeah, storyline wise Eddie Guerrero's mom had a heart attack. And I bring that up because I remember in 2004, me being behind. JBL, his behind his rise, I was looking forward to JBL challenging Eddie Guerrero for the number one contenders or challenging him as a number one contender for the WWE title at Judgment Day. My brother Nate and I were watching SmackDown and Nate looked at me after the SmackDown where they aired the house show footage. I remember Nate looked at me like he said, dog are you still a fan of JBL now? And to be honest, For one week, and one week only, I was not a fan of John Bradshaw Leifold, which ties in a little bit with what his promo in before his title match with Eddie Guerrero here at Judgment Day. I'll answer the audio right now.
0: I will be doing this in English. So for those of you who need a translator... Look to an American near you and ask him to translate to English, please. I want to congratulate you people in Los Angeles. Because you are part of history. The new era of John Bradshaw Layfield's America. A lot of you swam an awful long way and climbed a bunch of fences to get here. But I'd like to tell you this: save a spot on the raft for Eddie Guerrero to take him back to that third world you call Mexico. But I tell you what. I did just lose my housekeeper. You see, she stole from me, a Mexican lady. And so I need another. So here's what I'm gonna do. You take Eddie Guerrero back because he will no longer be champion. And I, out of the generosity of my heart, will use Eddie Guerrero's mother as my maid. That way, she can live out the last remaining days of her life in my glorious home, New York City. This is tasteless. you hate it. Congratulations on being part of a new era because today I guarantee you, I absolutely guarantee you that I will be victorious in this very ring! Wow, strong statements right there, Cole. What about close-minded? Ah, he straight-up guaranteed his victory tonight. And he's going to become champion. that That's impressive to be that bold and confident.
1: I will be having on guest Joe Drillian from What a Maneuver and Bowling Shoe Ugly cast here to review this match from Judgment Day with JBL and Eddie Guerrero from the Staples Center. In Los Angeles, California, on Sunday, May sixteenth, two thousand and four, and I am excited to get into the first match of the trilogy between JBL and Eddie Guerrero. Let's take a quick break. Let me get Joe drilling on the line, and we will talk Guerrero versus Layfield from the Los Angeles, from Los Angeles, from the Staples Center here of the Dog House.
0: You know, Judgment Day isn't over yet. That's true. Because coming up next, it could be Judgment Day for one John Bradshaw Layfield. The WWE Championship is on the line. Eddie Guerrero against Bradshaw. Last time we saw Latino Heat, the WWE Champion, he was getting sent to prison with uh, the local police. But Guerrero's here tonight, baby. And for Bradshaw, he has made this matchup extremely personal. Ladies and gentlemen, from New York City, John Bradshaw Leaffield. What greater success stories in America than me? I've got a financial book by Shaman and Schuster out. I've got a radio show that starts May 1st. I have become the top financial analyst on Network TV. I've got a portfolio beat the stock market seven out of the last seven years. I have succeeded in everything but one thing, and that is wrestling, because I thought it was more important to have a good time, to drink beer, to play cards, to visit our troops. But that ain't got me, Jack. So something's fixing to happen around here. You're fixing to see an impact. So get ready. Business is about to pick up. Show what the hell are you doing! What I say I do, and what I do, I do very, very well. Talk about impact! Wow! Ladies and gentlemen, the winner of the current Great American Award, and thus the number one contender for the WWE title, goes to John bradshaw Layfield! Wow! Oh, come on! Wow, he did it! Who better to represent America than me, JBL? What I see is a great American. Guerrero has stolen the spotlight from JBL. He's a thief. You are a black mark on society, Eddie Guerrero. You are a disgrace to America. You're going to pay for this, Eddie. You will pay. Pay, 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 pay. Ladies and gentlemen, a tragic incident occurred involving the Guerrero family. Eddie was in the ring, finished up a match, invited his family in to celebrate, and unfortunately. This tragedy followed. Mrs. Guerrero, Eddie's mother, suffered a heart attack. Eddie Guerrero put his family in home's way. That's his business. Eddie! to take responsibility for the circumstances and what happens the consequences you don't understand something John you traumatized my family you put your hands on a 76 year old defenseless woman that my friend is a coward make no mistake I don't give a damn about Eddie Guerrero's mother and she dies Guys, the one that everybody has to worry about, especially your family, is you. Eddie Guerrero has completely lost it. This isn't about Eddie's mother. This is about my meeting with destiny. I'm going to kick the living out of you. I will personally guarantee victory. Will this carnage be the scene at Judgment Day?
3: I'm ready when you are, man.
1: Okay. Welcome back to the podcast. I am the Dirty Dog Darcy. Joining me as I was blabbling before the break is Joe Drilling. Joe, how's it going?
3: Oh, it's going great, man. How's it going with you?
1: I'm it's going pretty good. I am happy to talk about Eddie Guerrero versus John Brashaw Layfield from Judgment Judgment Day 2004, partially because of what just happened this past week with TNA that I saw that you were tweeting a little bit about this past week. <laughs>
3: Yeah, uh, yeah. So um, that was. Are we? I mean, do we want to talk about that a little bit? Well, uh, I guess. we
1: might, may as well because that was in my notes to lead into this match. That okay. I've been hearing a lot. I guess more positive than anything about this final de- deletion match between Matt and Jeff Hardy. I haven't gotten around to watching it yet, but I know you have. So I want to get your thoughts about the match that you that you
3: watched. About the final deletion. Um, oh, it's, it's weird. It's really weird.
1: Weird in a good way or weird in a bad way?
3: Um, ah, man, for the sake of, you know, professional wrestling in general, I will say it's weird in a good way. Um... You know, but it's it's uh, how do I put this? It's so weird and so different from what you expect to see that uh, it's it's a good thing from that perspective. You know,
1: could TNA uh, capitalize off of this
3: to make their brand different, other than being considered WWE Junior? I mean that's sort of what I liked about it, right? Is it's not it doesn't come off as just, you know, WWE Light. But I don't I don't think they really can because I think the problem is that this match probably cost a lot of money to produce. And I don't think that they have the money to keep doing stuff like that. And also it would be less special, less interesting. There's some there are definitely also some problems with it so I would recommend that I, I should say that if you if you're interested in wrestling uh which obviously you would have to be to be listening to this podcast you should watch this match um the the pop t v youtube channel has it um just on youtube you can just you know um you can just go there and and watch it like um You know, without without paying, without having to you know mess around with on demand or anything, you can just go watch it on the Pop TV YouTube channel. So, because it's such a low impact to seek out, I would definitely say, you know, yeah, you you should watch it. It's just so um, it's it's there's no commentary, there's no audience. Um, that kind of messes with it. The way the match itself is edited kind of messes with the pacing of it. There are a couple of moments that I didn't really understand what was going on. No, I I don't watch TN. I haven't watched a full episode of impact. I'm going to say in oh, five years, probably give or take. Is the last time I watched a, a full I used to make an effort to try to watch it every week just to sort of keep up for a little while and I just couldn't do it. It was so bad. And my sense is that it has not improved a great deal, honestly, but stuff like this is is really interesting. Um and I didn't I don't know much about the 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 lead up, the storyline to this. I just I saw the the promo, the Brother Nero promo that I think was sort of making the rounds, you know, where Matt is playing the piano and Jeff comes in and, you know, Matt's like, brother Nero. And um, so I didn't know much about the lead up except that they are feuding and that Matt seems to regard Jeff as some sort of, you know, leech or some sort of uh, a hanger on or Johnny come lately or something. That sort of all told Pretty much through the, um, through even the beginning of the match. Cause the match, there's like a, there's like a, it, it's, it's more like a short film that has wrestling in it than a wrestling match. Um, yeah, I don't know. A lot of people, again, raved about it. I thought it was, I thought it was just. It was it was interesting, but I don't know that it was good in the traditional sense and I hated the finish.
1: You mentioned that a few minutes ago that you don't want to see this happen this kind of match happen often. Do you feel like if they would TNA would pull something like this out once every I don't know, year to three years or so, pull out something different like this, do you feel like that could help set TNA away from being WWE? Uh,
3: WWE light? I think it could. I think it could, but it would have to be done in... um, It would have to be done in such a way that... I think it would have to be more than every, you know, three years, otherwise who's gonna care, right? Um but it would have to be done in such a way that it doesn't feel artificial, you know. Um they'd have to keep doing stuff. And I just don't know that anybody besides Matt and Jeff Hardy, you know would be would be willing or would be would, would be the kind of people who would create something like this.
1: Yeah, just hearing a little bit of what I've been hearing about Matt Hardy's current character in TNA, I don't know what other guys... I guess, yeah, I'm the same way with you, Joe, that I haven't been following TNA much, but I don't know what other characters outside of Matt Hardy's current current character that could pull off something like what they
3: pulled off. Right. I mean, that's the big thing, right? Is like, y- you need characters that this works for, um, and, you know, it's not like... like it, this wouldn't work with, us. so they also just announced, uh, WB just announced that Lesnar versus Orton is like the main event at SummerSlam, um, provided that Lesnar doesn't get severely injured in his return to UFC or something, right? Yeah. Um, you know, so it, you this wouldn't work with Lesnar and Orton. It, it just wouldn't, you know. It it, it, only, it works in part because it's the Hardys, and it could work with other people, but, um, you know, it would have to be the right, people. Um. I've been hearing that maybe something similar to what
1: that'd be like the New Day against the Wyatt family in WWE nowadays. Uh, but it sounds like they're trying to maybe do something similar to what the Hardys did in TNA. Yeah, I mean, maybe. I could be wrong, though, too. I haven't really been keeping up that much with current WWE stuff other than Brock's fighting tonight as it we're recording UFC 200 and all that, and they announced this past week, like you said, Orton and Lesnar at SummerSlam.
3: Right. Right. Um, yeah, there was. It, it, it just. I don't know. I would say watch it. I would say watch it, but temper your expectations, because I know a lot of people, like Max Landis, that it was the greatest thing in wrestling since whenever, and a whole bunch of people. And I actually found an article on WhatCulture dot com that. There's 10 reasons TNA's Final Deletion was a Shakespearean level masterpiece <laughs> and I would be extremely hesitant to put this on the level of Shakespeare even bad Shakespeare um you know so um yeah I mean I it it it, it was Interesting, and it was interesting enough that uh, if you've been following wrestling for a long time, uh, you should watch it. That's that's. I mean, I don't want to give too much away because if you talk about it, it gets. It's not as. Um, it, it's good to go in blind. I think just because it's it's so weird that coming into it not knowing what to expect is part of the fun of watching it.
1: Yeah, the reason why I wanted to ask you about that because and have you on to talk about. JBL and Eddie Guerrero from 2004 is, yeah, WWE is having another draft coming up in a, I think as of us recording, I think in a week and a half or so and I felt like for the first few years of the original draft in WWE, I felt they were doing pretty well and just with this final deletion matching TNA, I feel like that helps bring up the conversation of what can WWE do differently for each brand to Make this draft work, and I feel like at least on my end that i don't have that much faith in wWE altogether to do this draft very very well um,
3: I, don't um, I don't know i don't I'm, know I'm cautiously optimistic about the draft as I, I, I said this on a lot a maneuver but um, we did like sort of a we did like this weird mini draft sort of on the spur of the moment when we were talking about it and no i i remain um cautiously optimistic i think the roster is big enough and you know with smackdown going live you know potentially there's fertile ground there
1: yeah, i guess i'm excited to see what happens i i just i'm afraid that within a few months and by end of the year, SmackDown is going to be the B show once again, like it has been the last who you knows so how many years.
3: Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean that's the big thing, right? SmackDown has not been relevant in some time, and this may make it relevant again. So,
1: and I guess to kind of tie it into yeah the match that I'm having you on. Where were you as a wrestling fan in 2004?
3: I was, I, was, I was working as a wrestler in 2004. Um, I was not watching much WWE, though. Um, and in fact, this was the first time I had watched this match. And oh, part of really? it was... Yeah. Part of it was... Not even that... Um, it was just... It wasn't necessarily the brand extension in and of itself um but it just it, it, WWE as a whole was just in a in I mean I know a lot of people look back and they go yeah you know Benoit and Guerrero were the champion world champions on WWE and it was like the peak of their careers and there was a lot of garbage in the 2004 2005 WWE is really hard to watch um you know, and and it was just it was hard to watch then. You know, I still watched a lot of tapes and DVDs, and I watched you know Japan stuff, and I was working in the indies and watching a lot of that stuff. But I just really wasn't paying that much attention to WWE. I always watched WrestleMania, you know, and usually like SummerSlam, the big pay per views and stuff like that. But I really was checked out on most of the week to week, and then the pay per views for a good portion um, uh, of this stuff.
1: Well, I don't blame you because yeah, when I was, you know, I, I watched you know this match with those two guys and I watched their Great American Bash Bull Rope match and I think right around this time on both pay-per-views they had Mordecai on and trying to build him up as I guess like the another version of The Undertaker and i'll he would later, later on become Kevin Thorne on the ECW brand and a lot of, I feel like, especially on the Raw pay-per-views as well, I feel like most of the pay-per-views outside of the world title matches were the shits. Uh,
3: yeah, I mean a lot of that's accurate. I just remember 2003 I still was watching pretty religiously and 2003 beat me down so badly that eventually I just I just more or less stopped watching WWE because yeah, like you said, a lot of it was a lot of it was the shits, man. The roster was they they they, they brought in the um you know they brought in the brand split idea because they had such a big roster but so much of it was that was just like the era of the super generic looking white guy like that was when like they had like Lance Cade and and and, like they were using Mark Jindrak and Sean O'Hare and like a lot of these dudes who were just eh, Sean O'Hare I guess to a lesser extent but like, a lot of those dudes, Chuck Palumbo, and, like, they were, like, you know, white dudes with, with you know, bodybuilder-type bodies and, like, short, you know, sort of close-cropped haircuts, and that was, like, a ton of the roster, and, like, regular, you know, trunks and boots, and, like, that was half the roster. Um, you know, it's just like, this isn't, you know, they did that Mr. America bit with Hulk Hogan in 2003, <laughs> and like, all of a sudden, Kevin Nash is back in the main event, and JBL is having an ascent, and I, JBL. This is this is the best match of JBL's career, I would say, almost without and, argument.
1: And to be honest, you know, with me coming up with the idea of thinking about a, you know, match or a feud from the original draft. This, you know, I, to be honest, I loved JBL in 2004. That uh, I was going through some hard times. My grandfather was diagnosed with cancer, you know, a couple months before JBL, you know, got his descent, like a month or two before us me a 20. And I, JBL's ascent to, uh, I guess, the mid event scene helped take me away from my grandfather dealing with his stomach cancer. And I was thinking, who can I get on to talk about? One of the JBL-Eddie Guerrero matches, I remember thinking about you, Joe, because I remember you not being a fan of JBL, which is why I th- thought, why, why not have you on for this match? Because I watched yeah, this match, their Great American Bash match, and their cage match from SmackDown, I think a week or two after their Bull Rope match, and I feel like this is probably the best match out of, out of the, that three-match series.
3: Uh, sure. I mean, I don't, again, I wasn't watching a ton, so I don't, I can't compare to those other matches necessarily, but, uh, yeah, I mean, guilty as charged. I hate JBL. I think he, I don't, he's better than, you know, if you listen to what a maneuver, you, you know, uh, you've heard me rag on like Bagwell and Jarrett and Lex Luger and Mongo and like JBL's better than all those people, but like, he's still in the bottom, you know, bottom rung of, of, especially guys to, you know, have like a big ascent, win the title, you know, multiple times. I mean, he's one of the longest reigning heavyweight champions of the last, you know, decade or whatever. Um right? I mean that's yeah, I think uh, he
1: held it for like nine or ten months. He won it at Great American Bash and lost it at WrestleMania twenty one.
3: Right. So he and he always, well he would always say he was the the longest, longest, longest reigning WWE champion on SmackDown history and SmackDown history, right? So, you know he he uh oh, these are combined reigns. I'm, I just pull up an article. These are combined reigns, so it's not. Um Yeah, JBLs would be would be down there then for combined reigns. Yeah, this well, this is just top ten. He's not in the top ten for because I think he only had the one, didn't he? Yeah, just or maybe he two? held, held the, just the one WWE title yeah. Yeah. And Guerrero only held it once as well, which is Correct, sort yeah. of weird to think about. Um, but, yeah, I just... Here, the thing about JBL, especially his his whole gimmick at the time, especially, is he was sort of this weird amalgamation of Stan Hansen and Ted DiBiase, uh, who were both guys I like, who actually tagged together in Japan and were quite successful in all Japan in the 80s. Um, But he... I mean, so one thing is that I I I tend to be less put off by um you know some of the uh racial stuff that happens in pro wrestling because uh, a lot of usually it's it's too you know it's a it's a heel thing but it's also kind of a cheap heat thing. I mean it's lazy, right? Like anybody can walk out and grab the mic and basically say in so many words I hate Mexicans and get people to boo them for that because any right-thinking, you know, uh, uh, normal human being is going to be like, that's kind of a, you know, that's a, that's a, that's a pretty messed up thing to say. Um, although, you know, with the ascension of, of, uh, of the, uh, orange goblin who's running for the, for president this year, I mean, maybe not, but I mean, that's just, it's easy, right. To come out and say, well, I'm wrestling Eddie Guerrero and like, you know, screw the Mexicans basically like that. There's no challenge in that. That's cheap heat. Um, you know, so so there's that part of it I don't think he was especially gifted on the mic. I think a lot of what he did was cheap heat. And I think that he um, you know, just wasn't very good in the ring. And I think in this match even a lot of that shows like Eddie is so good and the story that's told here is good enough that it doesn't it's it's not, you know, it's not so um, egregious that you know it's not, it can't be forgiven, but there's a lot of stuff JBL screws. There's a whole spot where there's a, it actually it would be a really good spot if JBL didn't botch the timing on it so badly. Um, there's a bit where Eddie starts throwing him back and forth between the corner buckles, throws him into one buckle, throws him into the other buckle, throws him back into the first buckle, and then guides him over and goes to throw him in, and he drop kicks him, and JBL is just all over the place. Like he doesn't know, or he doesn't remember the spot or something. It's it's hard to tell, but he looks lost, and it's just it brings the whole thing down. Um, so that's that's sort of my assessment of JBL in in general, and on commentary, he's completely insufferable.
1: Yeah, I do agree with you. I feel like nowadays JBL sucks. Uh, I feel like during his first run when he was him and Michael Cole on SmackDown. I want to say 2004 six ish uh two thousand seven I felt like he was good but I feel like yeah nowadays he just sucks. And talking about the announcers, what were your thoughts of the tag team of Michael Cole and Taz? Uh they're
3: they're they're not especially good. Cole hadn't quite gotten to the point where he was completely insufferable yet. Which I appreciate.
1: Oh same here yeah.
3: Um you know you know and um so uh, but taz i don't know man i've never really i love taz as a as a as an in-ring performer i find him almost universally insufferable in commentary um his promo style was good beat me if you can survive if i let you all that stuff the tough guy thing with the towel and the his feud with Bam Bam Bigelow, he cut some really great promos. And again, in Ring, I mean, I just, I think I always liked him more than a lot of other people do. I, I always liked Taz in the Ring. Um, he had this really great, just intensity. Those big suplexes, his matches with Bigelow, and, uh, you know, even Mike Awesome, who I'm not a huge fan of, he had good matches with him. Like, but as a commentator, I just, I can't stand him. I just he's he's uh, I don't know it's hard to even put into words. He just like he's he's like he's like a muppet. I don't know it, except I like the Muppets so I don't even really know how to put it. I just he's just I don't like his commentary style. It's just the style that he does. I just don't like it. I'm a big fan of like um like my favorite commentators of all time are like gorilla monsoon, Bobby heenan, jr., Gordon Soli, um oh man, who is the guy? Um Bill Mercer. Not Bill Mercer. <laughs> Never Bill Mercer. Who was the guy who did stuff for like uh it was like it was I, I can't remember uh Lance Allen, I think. Is Lance Lance Allen? Is that his name? <sighs> no, it's gonna drive me nuts until I can remember it. Um he did but like before Shivani was the WCW oh, play-by-play um, guy. Um I feel like it was Lance something. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, I know Gordon Silly was there for a while too. Lance Russell, yeah, Lance I, Russell,
1: yeah,
3: Lance Russell, uh, I think. Yeah, Lance, Lance, Rus-
1: Lance Russell sounds right. I don't know if
3: not, he was wasn't Lance Russell in uh, Memphis for a while. He was in Memphis for a long time. Oh yeah, for, after he left Memphis for WCW in 1989, yes, Lance Russell. Uh, yeah, that's the guy I'm thinking of. He, uh, that guy is, I feel like he doesn't come up enough sort of in the, in the discussion. Um, you know, but, but I liked him a lot too. Um, so those guys, Joey Styles, I like a lot, generally, generally speaking. Um, you know, and, and so that style just, and so like Taz is like, it's like he he gets super into his New York thing. I mean, he's from New York, so like, I, but he just gets really into like, hey, I'm a new guy from New York. Hey, look at that chick, what a tomato! Uh, yeah. Like, I just, uh, it just bugs me.
1: More of a comedy guy than taking the product seriously.
3: Yeah, I, I think that's it. I don't know it's it's hard to it's hard to quantify. I just don't like his style.
1: Then I want to get your thoughts on. Eddie Guerrero being WWE champion that, like you said, that when I watched this match back, I actually watched this match back a couple times this past week and I feel like, yeah, easily like you said, Eddie Guerrero carried JBL through this match and more and more down the road that I watch Eddie Guerrero's matches on the WWE Network or wherever else, I appreciate Eddie Guerrero more and more and wish I would have appreciated him when he was still
3: still alive and still wrestling. Uh, man, Eddie Guerrero, for me, you know, just Eddie Guerrero in general, period, you know, not even, not outside of his title reign, um, is, I mean, if he's not top 10 of all time for me, he's top 20 for sure. Eddie Guerrero is so good. He was so good. Um, I mean, watching you know, doing, doing what we do over on what a maneuver he's like the highlight of nitro, you know, it's like Eddie Booker, DDP, you know, that's like, that's the stuff you really look forward to seeing on nitro. Cause you know, Eddie is, is just so good and you know, he was, uh, he was, you know, sort of in what you might call uh, in baseball, a five tool player, you know, same, same idea with wrestling. I mean, the guy could do everything he could work. He could talk. He had a great look. He, you know, he could, he could, he could, you know, mat wrestle and chain wrestle and he could fly and he could do hardcore stuff as evidenced by this match. He could do anything that you could do comedy. He had a great sense of timing, both comedic timing as well as, uh, you know, just, just, uh, in ring timing and a sense of, uh, how to, Keep the crowd right in the palm of his hand. Um, you know he was. I, there's not enough that you can say about Eddie Guerrero. He's he he is he's right in there with. Uh, I mean, I think he deserves to be named alongside of people like you know Ric Flair and Shawn Michaels and and all those people. And I think his title reign was really overdue. And I think it was the first time that. Um, how do I put this? Because he wasn't really an indie guy or an indie darling or whatever. But I think it was the first time, you know, since wrestling had become a national business, a national thing, it was the first time that someone um, that again i'm trying to i'm struggling to figure out a good way to put this it was the first time that like the audience sort of like they like Vince always like say like well the audience decides and like not really i mean they kind of do like who people get over but you know and people like to say like oh the audience decided stone cold like stone cold was amazing and he was an amazing champion and what he did for the business of professional wrestling was fantastic and i can't say enough great things about stone cold steve austin but Steve Austin was not; he did not break the mold in any significant way as far as the kind of person you expect to be the champion. Um, but Eddie Guerrero is really like the first of the CM Punk, Daniel Bryan, well,
1: like the internet
3: uh, internet wrestlers, so to sir. Yeah, I, I try to avoid using that terminology, Fair enough, but uh, I mean, I mean, yeah, I, that, that's the, the 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 sort of hardcore fan favorite. That in, you know, during the reign of Hogan, uh, or even the reign of Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels, you wouldn't think this was the kind of guy I mean, people always talk about like, you know, Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels, oh, they were a small guy. Like they were small compared to Hulk Hogan because Hogan was, you know, almost six and a half feet tall and weighed 300 pounds just about. Um, but they're not small guys. Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart are both over six feet tall. They both weighed over 200 pounds. Um, they were not small guys. They were small compared to uh, Hogan and, and Andre and, you know, guys like that. But they're not – they weren't small guys. Uh, Eddie Guerrero was a relatively small guy. Rey Mysterio – you know, Rey Mysterio didn't win the title until after this, but um, if I'm – right? Yeah, Rey Mysterio that's correct, didn't yeah. Until after this, yeah. Um, you know, but, but Eddie, I think really – Eddie made it possible for Benoit for – um, You know, Rey Mysterio Again, even to a, to a lesser extent Maybe CM Punk, Daniel Bryan um, You know, guys like that to, to be in that position And I think that's his sort of lasting impact But it was way overdue If we're talking strictly on the quality of work The degree to which the person is over All that stuff And the thing I really loved about Eddie, Eddie's title reign Is that it was I did not see the match but I, I heard about it, I think, that same night that it happened. I remember hearing about it or, or seeing about it. And it was a genuine surprise. And I think part of the reason that I didn't watch that pay-per-view is because I just expected that Lesnar would win. Um, but it was a genuine surprise. Nobody thought, I mean, especially, I mean, how often does that happen? That, that unless it's telegraphed really heavily, um, and in this case it wasn't, they really didn't make it seem, like when, when Angle won the Royal Rumble, they made it seem like, okay, it's going to be Angle and Lesnar for the title at WrestleMania 20. You know, that's, um, and there was no, there was no indication that I recall that you should really expect Eddie to win at No Way Out. It was just, you know, oh, it's just, this is going to be, you know, he's going to get his, uh, it's like his token, like, here you go, you've been a good soldier, here's your title shot, here's your main event, and then we'll move on to like, Promoting big time the angle versus Lesnar, and so I think it was such a pleasant surprise for everybody that when Eddie won that match because i don 't think anybody thought that they would put Eddie over in that
1: no in, I, I know i was I was watching smack during during that time, and I was sur- surprised to hear that Eddie won, and just now remembering how much the fans were behind Eddie, I think from like uh survivor series you know the year before to. You know, Chavo turning on Eddie and how great of their Royal Rumble match that they had against each other. Then, yeah. Then, uh, and Eddie winning and having great a great match with Angle at WrestleMania. Then you know, this great match with JBL. I really don't know who else they could put the title on during this time since Lesnar was leaving and Angle is, I think, i to go due to injury after WrestleMania. Other than Eddie Guerrero.
3: Yeah, I mean. That's, that's probably true. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just, he's just so. It, and, and Eddie's one that, just again in general, is one that I feel like, you know, sort of the same thing with a lot of guys that he, you know, by all accounts, had cleaned himself up before he died. And, you know, but all that stuff that he did. And all the stuff that those guys of that era did, and hopefully not too many of the guys in this era are doing, although some of them it's pretty obvious that they're maybe not natural athletes um but all that stuff that he did, including you know performance enhancers and whatever else um you know he, again by all by most accounts he was you know clean by the time he died, but that stuff just catches up with you and i and it's really I think all the more tragic that he had. Uh, at least as far as the alcohol and the drugs and stuff, was clean and uh, died anyways You know, um, because of what that stuff does to your body long term. Um, So I think it was all the more tragic that we lost Eddie as early as he did because I think uh, I don't know if he'd still be wrestling today but he certainly would have had I mean he had several good years in front of him. Um, Yeah,
1: because I don't think he passed away in November of Two oh, thousand five. 2005, yeah, I'm yeah. sure he could easily went to two thousand eight, maybe even two thousand ten. Even slowly starting to slow down and not wrestling on a regular
3: thin, maybe to two thousand ten at least. Uh, yeah, I mean that. I'm just looking at how old he he was. Oh yeah, I mean, he, I, mean I feel like easy. He was he was thirty eight. Uh, he was thirty eight when he died. Um. You know, he was he would have been forty in two thousand seven. So, and he had just turned thirty eight, actually. He just turned thirty eight. So he, uh, yeah. I mean, I I really think, um, he he probably had a good five or seven years uh, ahead of him if he was if he was alive today. Uh, He would be, you know, he'd be 49, so he probably would be out of the business by now, but that, I mean, who knows, there are guys older than 49 who keep wrestling. Undertaker does it, but, you know. Ric uh,
0: Flair.
3: Ric Flair. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, Triple H is 46, and he just won the title, you yeah. know, uh, last year, so... So, yeah, I mean, I think we had a lot of years. He probably had another, you know, uh, probably close to a decade to, to give and wasn't afforded that opportunity. So I really, um, again, just a tremendous talent who, who could have gone even further than he did. So,
1: so well, let's get into the match, um, by chance, yeah. did you uh, watch JBL's backstage interview from earlier in the pay-per-view?
3: I didn't watch anything from the pay-per-view. I watched the very end of the, of the match before just so I could catch the um, sort of the lead-in and the video package, but I did not see his promo earlier. And this pay-per-view looked actually pretty bad, yeah. so I did not watch the whole pay-per-view.
1: Well, I feel like Prince, the promo that he had once got in the arena was, was very similar to what he did said backstage. I felt his backstage promo was very um, – Campaigny since you know this was 2004 and George Bush was running for re election. Then I feel like it's kind of reminiscent to JBL's running for the White White House,
3: right? And that I mean, that was clearly the gimmick, right? It was a, there was definitely a George W. Bush thing going there because later he had the cabinet, which it was like uh, Orlando, jo- Orlando Jordan and the Basham brothers and the Bashams, and I feel like there were other people in there too, but yeah. Yeah, so that was definitely the thing, right? Is that he was supposed to be like the wrestling uh, George W. Bush? So, so
1: you said you watched the video package before the match. What What was your thoughts on when, the couple minutes of the pre the, the video before the match? Well, I guess uh, the main thing I want to ask you about is the whole storyline with Eddie Guerrero's mom having faking a heart attack.
3: Yeah. Right. That was mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> I I totally agree because I still remember the Thursday night when they aired that. I was sitting down with one of my brothers and yeah, like I said, I was a big JBL fan. Once they aired that, my brother looked at me, and I remember him asking me, Do you like JBL now? And for a week I hated JBL because of that. <laughs>
3: Well, so let me ask you this: How how old
1: were you? And I year? would have been sixteen when this feud okay. happened.
3: Okay, so I was in college uh, when this was going on. So yeah, I mean, I, I, um, yeah, I think that the the heart attack thing is a It's just, it's just kind of in poor taste. I just I, it it never comes off right. <sighs> It, whenever they do, cause they, they did a thing where Flair had a heart attack on air in WCW or something, and I remember that being a disaster. And, um, any any time they try to do something like that, it just doesn't come off right, and I, I didn't. It didn't. It didn't work for me. <laughs> um, you know, but it it definitely. Whether it worked for me or not, it clearly worked on the audience, right? The yeah. crowd in general. And, and, I mean, it set up the thing. And, and what I do love about this is they do come out, and they definitely bring the hate. Yeah, which, this match.
1: which I agree with. Then. Yeah, because I feel like a lot of matches start with tie-ups and all that. And I feel like this match yeah. didn't. And I thought that helped, especially the opening sequence of those two brawls, especially Eddie bringing the heat to JBL with, you know, punches and brought outside the ring and I that's something I really enjoyed.
3: Absolutely. And I really I wish that some people there are people who could take notes on this, right? Because again, even though I don't much care for JBL, this has been handled better than I mean there are matches I mean okay, so I've become that guy uh who's apparently known on wrestling Twitter for being the guy who hates lockups. <laughs> um you know, like people will see that in a match that I'm not even watching, and they'll be like they'll they'll like at me on Twitter to be like these guys just locked up and you know like uh, so I feel like there's been some stuff recently like Roman reigns locking up with people when he was champ and stuff people he should wanna just destroy, and they're like tying up and I'm like you can't you can't do that and and this is done perfectly I mean right from the beginning eddie so j b l comes out first uh and he cuts this promo about all these you know uh about the like illegal Mexicans in LA or whatever, and that if they take Eddie back after he wins the title, then he'll be kind enough to hire uh, his, Eddie's mom as his maid, as Nick. his new maid, because he fired his old maid for stealing, because <laughs> she was stealing, of course, right? But yeah, but yeah so so I mean, and right away Eddie comes, so Eddie comes out second. He comes out in the low rider. He gets out of the low rider. He goes right in there, and he goes right after JBL. And and on the other end, um, not to jump way too far ahead, but after the bell rings, he keeps pummeling JBL for a good five minutes after the match is over.
1: Well, yeah, because I, well, I ways I feel like this match is broken up in kind of ways three sections. Uh, the first section I really feel like is kind of like... Well, first then the first section and the last section I feel like were the brawl part of the match. The middle part of the match yeah. I feel like is more kind of to bring the fans down, kind of slow the pace down a little bit, let the fans catch their breath before they go to the finish.
3: Well, yeah. So, so the, the story they kind of tell here is that Eddie is just incensed and uh, which he has every right to be. Um, you know, JBL put his hands on his 76-year-old mother. Um, and uh, Eddie just goes after him. I mean, he's a total house of fire. They brawl to the outside right away. And JBL slows it down by using headlock, chin chinlock, uh, you know, sort of stuff to just try to keep Eddie under control. Trying to use his size advantage over Eddie because even though he's bigger, uh, in Eddie's state of mind, he cannot out brawl Eddie. Um, so he's got to try to cut off the oxygen to his, you know, cut off the blood flow to his brain. Keep, excuse me, keep him down. Um, uses extra weight and height advantage to try to keep Eddie as sedate as possible, and when that doesn't work, he hauls off and whacks him in the head of the chair.
1: Yeah, <laughs> so I do feel like the first part of the match, JBL, was the cowardly heel. I yeah. want to want to make sure he's it wasn't. trying to get away
3: from from Eddie for sure.
1: Yeah, and I and I felt like that was a unique story with JBL having like a foot on Eddie, and I assume at least a hundred pounds on him too. That. Like you said, that Eddie was a house of fire, wanted to get after JBL for what GBL did to his mother. And I guess I really like that that story that they told him throughout the match.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, I mean, Eddie keeps taking the fight to the outside. And and they always they say this a lot. And it, it a lot of times doesn't ever come through in a meaningful way. And it doesn't mismatch, which is always, you know, the commentary team will always be like, oh, you know, the challenger has to beat the champion. The champion, you know, doesn't have to beat, you know, if the, if the challenger, uh, you know, get, if there's a disqualification, if there's a count out, you know, the challenger doesn't win the title. And they really do a good job of of actually paying off on that in this match. Eddie doesn't care if he gets disqualified because he doesn't lose the title. Yeah. And that shows, you know, in the finish, he eventually... Although JBL did plenty of stuff, obviously, to get disqualified and just doesn't get caught. But they go to the outside several times. Guerrero throws him into the table. JBL throws him into the other table and, you know, all this kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, there's a spot that I want to ask you about because I felt like it was... For me, I thought it was a very cool spot that uh, JBL was thrown thrown outside the ring by the front of the announcer's table. Then Eddie was going to do a planche on JBL, but JBL caught him. They hit him with the follow away slam. Yeah, I want to me that showed a lot of, I guess JBL's smarts, and also showed a lot of JBL's strength and power. And since yeah, you're a for, yeah you're a former wrestler, I want to get your thoughts on that spot and how 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 calculated that spot had to be.
3: Um. Well, I mean, I like it. It's uh, it, it, again, as you say, it, it demonstrates JBL's raw power. And then again, uh, don't, over Eddie, don't put JBL over more than what you have to. <laughs> uh, right? Um, no, that's. I mean, so if you're the guy, if you're the flyer, you have to trust the guy who's catching you, right? So that's the number one thing. Um, it's honestly not that hard to do, though, and here's the reason why. Because whether you whether you do the bit where he catches you and does the fallaway slam, or whether he just takes it, you're sort of doing the same thing. The difference is just that he stays standing up. So you have to be confident that he's strong enough to stay standing. But really, if you watch a normal, uh, if you watch how that spot normally goes, like if Eddie hit him and they fell down, it's pretty much the same. He's going to put his arms up and try to catch him in the same way. He's just going to take the bump when he does it instead of staying standing and then throwing him. So it's any more difficult than doing it normally, except that the person, you know, doing the catching has to have this the raw strength to be able to catch a two hundred pound projectile and not fall down. Um, but it's it's generally going to be the same as you know.
1: Well, I guess I just felt like that spot showed both Eddie's strengths and JBL's strengths in just that one simple spot.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Then, uh, yeah, right on that time, or like a few minutes later, we, we get to the famous chair shot spot, I guess, or not so famous chairs, chair shot spot, and and I wanted to also get your in, input on it, because to me, it seemed like Eddie did not even put his hands up for the chair shot spot.
3: Yeah, he takes an unprotected shot to the head, and then he pretty clearly blades right away, um and blades maybe a little bit too hard a little bit too deep allegedly he went into shock after the match which um,
1: I'm not surprised with as much blood that he spilled and I wanted to ask you about that because how thick the blood seemed to be and how how covered his face was by the end of the match
3: yeah I mean he's he's bleeding a lot <laughs> uh, He he cut himself too deep for sure and, uh, I mean, you can tell, cause even usually, so the reason that you cut your forehead in that way is because, um, it, it bleeds, usually it bleeds a fair amount, but it's not gonna do any real damage to you, generally speaking. Uh, he cut himself too deep though, and... I mean, it's pouring out. Even even when they're back in the ring, like minutes later, it's still dripping. It's it's running out of his head in a way that is not... Shouldn't yeah, be. I mean, shouldn't be, right? That's So, I yeah, I'm not surprised that he... I mean, it could have been a lot worse, obviously.
1: And what's uh, your thoughts on just the chair shot? Because, yeah, like you well, said, for me, I had a tough time watching it. I don't know before... We started recording. I know you mentioned too that it was hard to watch. You know, now in 2016 with all the knowledge that we have, but I guess is that a surprise that they used that spot in 2004 with the limited knowledge that they had back then about concussions and
3: chair shots? Right. I mean, it's it's hard. Like you know, like I said, um, with the stuff that we do on, um, you know, on what a maneuver uh, we watch. You know, I, I think probably most people listening to this are probably familiar with with my sh- with our show, my show that I do with my friend Eric. Uh, what a maneuver! But we do it's chronological look at the sort of Monday Night Wars era. We started in 1996. We're in mid 1998 now, and uh, that was the era of the unprotected chair shot. And like you, a lot of times, not even for a good reason. I mean, this is a big pay per view championship match. So if there's a good reason, this is as good as they come. But there's matches, there's total throwaways where McFoley, you know, will take just a unprotected, stiff, unprotected chair shot to the head just because, um, and it's really hard to watch. After I think after Benoit, um, you know, and with a lot of the stuff that's happened in the NFL and and you know what we know about concussions, and I mean I have I've had uh, you know four or five concussions myself. Um, you you it just yeah it makes you cringe it really does and and the the blood doesn't the blood bothers me because there's so much of it but doing blood doesn't really i mean wwe really goes um walks a mile around doing blood when they can avoid it um i mean essentially it's only if you get actually busted open do they do blood now they don't they don't blade at all it seems like um you know, blood I'm fine with, but the 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 unprotected chair shot makes you cringe. And JBL gets it. He gives a JBL an unprotected chair shot before the end of the or after the bell, I think it yeah. is.
1: because I I also feel like with this big chair spot that JBL hit with Eddie, I feel like that's probably one of the bigger spots from this match. And I feel like even 12 years later, it's probably one of the more famous spots from this match and from their feud.
3: Oh, absolutely. But I think that's got more to do with the amount of blood rather than just because the unprotected chair shot was way more common before Benoit. The unprotected chair shot was very commonplace. Um, and again, especially in the nineties, uh, it was really super commonplace in the late nineties to do unprotected chair shots. Um, and I just don't, I don't really understand that. Um, you know, there's not really a lot in my mind, there's not a great, there's no great reason to do the unprotected chair shot. Um, You can do. You can put your hands up, you know, and take a chair to the to, quote to the face, um, you know, with your hands up, and the, the announcers can play it off like you were trying to block it or whatever. But it still looks and sounds pretty good um, if you put your hands up, and you don't run the same risk as just this. Uh, I don't know. It makes me. I mean, you're right. It, it makes me uncomfortable. And even after Benoit, that. That always, you know, makes me uncomfortable, the unprotected chair shot.
1: I am happy that WWE headed the, headed to clean up the sport after the whole tragedy with Chris Benoit and chair shots and concussions and bleeding and everything there. I'm sure you'll easily agree with me there.
3: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I mean, you know, we're talking about there are people, you know, professional football players who have protective gear on? Who have problems with, you know, post-concussion syndrome? And we're talking about, you know, a sport or a, you know, um, a a a. I hesitate to call wrestling a sport, but you know, a, a performance in which you don't have that, um, that gear, the, the helmets and stuff, and you're, I mean. It, it was it was probably overdue. Well, obviously it was overdue. Right, two two people lost their lives, arguably because well, three people lost their lives, arguably because um, the wrestling business didn't do a good enough job taking care of um, its performers, and that it took that. I mean, but I agree with you. I'm, I'm glad that at least once something happened, they took some action, but. Uh, that's hard, man, because they—they probably should have done it. If they could—if they'd done—if they would have done something sooner, they could have, um, you know, potentially saved some of those lives. But you know, can't can't put the genie back in the bottle, I guess. But it's good that they took the steps to do that and, and continue to this day to avoid chair shots to the head and unprotected chair shots.
1: So, uh, do you have any other notes about this match besides the finish?
3: Um. Not really. I mean once I, I really like that even once Eddie is bleeding, you know, JBL it turn it slows down, like you said, the pace slows down a lot, which it should. Um but JBL He keeps trying to win and Eddie is just too fired up. You know, he's just there's too much fight in him to lose. Um You know, and and so everything that JBL does, even it's a clothesline from hell. Although, you know what? Actually, the one other thing that I hate about this, there's one thing that I I hate, hate about this match. The ref...
0: Well, the ref ref, bump?
3: Eddie Guerrero turns around to hit the ropes, and he (laughs) bumps into Brian Hebner, and Brian Hebner sells it for, like, 15 minutes. It's like he got hit in the head with a hammer.
1: That ref bump seemed so simple that it looked like the. may have butted heads, and it really didn't seem like it did that much effect to Eddie Guerrero, but like I said to Brad Hebner, it knocked
3: him out for a majority of the match. He sells it like he's dying. I mean, it's ridiculous. Because um, it's really just, they just bump shoulders. <laughs> like, he's out for... Like, no joke, If people who haven't seen this match, I'm not exaggerating when I say that Hebner sells that them bumping into each other for like a legit 10 minutes, if not longer and doesn't move at all. It's absurd. So that I didn't like. Um, but yeah, so, you know, even when, when JBL's is trying to wake up the ref and, you know, Eddie just barely kicks out of the clothesline from hell after, uh, um, little H comes down. The Little H takes a bump, Hart takes. A, then he gets rough bump too, and he takes a harder bump than Hebner does and doesn't sell it for nearly as long.
1: Uh, what I think, what is your thoughts on JBL's powerbomb that he hit a few times in in this match? Because it seems like JBL is trying to set up this powerbomb as his, I guess, secondary finisher.
3: Yeah, they certainly, it seemed like that, yeah, that they were, they were trying to have him do a powerbomb as his finish instead of the clothesline from Hell, which I don't really love the clothesline from Hell, but... Uh, I think it's unique enough that it probably works a little better. And it looks brutal, right? I mean, it looks like he takes guys' heads off with that clothesline. Um, that I don't love it. Um, but I, I mean, a million guys have done the powerbomb. There's nothing interesting or unique about doing a powerbomb. So I think I'm glad that they eventually abandoned that. But, uh,. Yeah, it's weird. It's weird to see that. It's weird to see them trying to get the powerbomb over as a, as another finish.
1: Looks well, so like the only other move that JBL is really known for, besides the clothesline from hell, was a follow a slam. Right. And yeah. I, don't, I really don't know how many people would really consider that as a possible finish to a match back in
3: 2004. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean,. Um, well, you know, in, in the late nineties, like DDTs and pile drivers weren't finishing matches. So (laughs) I'm trying to remember when things sort of calmed down a little bit to where more like less extreme moves were acceptable as finishers again, which I think a lot of people bag on the PG era, you know, quote unquote, the PG era. Um, but I think one thing that the PG era did that really helped wrestling in general is that a lot of moves um, that had been sort of made to be. They'd sort of been made to be less meaningful or impactful than they should have been, um, sort of got back to a place where. I mean they never use a pile driver, right? The only person who does a pile driver is the Undertaker. Kane very occasionally. You know, so if they were to do a pile driver on a current WWE show, um it would I mean people would believe that they killed the guy. Well I remember with a pile uh, driver. I I'm trying the, to remember when, they, I don't remember if by 2004 if that was something, that, you know, if people would buy fallaway slams and clotheslines and stuff as a finisher uh, or power bombs, you know. But.
1: Well, I remember the one uh, CM Punk and John Cena match, I think going into WrestleMania 29 on Raw, where CM Punk pulled out the pilot driver. And it's like a lot of people on the internet freaked out about it, that holy cow, CM Punk used a pilot driver. And all that, and how people I can remember from from that match that people actually bought that as a possible finish for that match.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I think now, if you do if you do a pile driver now, um, for sure people buy it as a finish. Absolutely. So, but I guess what
1: you know you kind of talked about the post match uh, carnage that happened, but I want to talk about no what led up to that end. Yeah, absolutely. What is, I guess, yeah, to talk about the finish, that JBL was, gonna, was going up for a fallaway slam. Eddie countered that in, into a uh, Tornado DDT. Then Eddie moments later went up for a Frog Splash. I remember Taz and Michael Cole kind of questioning that with the amount of blood that Eddie lost. Is that really smart for Eddie go up on top? Then the refs, you know, uh, JBL rolled out of the way. Both of them were selling the amount of damage that both of them went through the match. Then JBL went outside the ring, rolled out, grabbed a chair, grabbed a, the belt, trying to pull, I guess, an Eddie maneuver, throwing the chair in to distract the referee, brought the belt in. When JBL was about to swing the belt, Eddie punted him in the nuts, grabbed the belt, deck, decked JBL from the referee, the bell was run. So yeah. I guess, what is your thoughts about the disqualification
3: finish? Uh, well, I sort of I touched on it a little bit before, but I actually kind of like it just because it pays off on the. A lot of people. I, one of the biggest problems with professional wrestling, and I've kind of harped on this in the past. One of the biggest problems with professional wrestling is that there is a weird line between performance and reality, and there's this thing where if a match ends on a DQ, a title match or a main event match ends on a DQ, there are some people who are going to feel cheated. But sometimes you're supposed to feel cheated. And I don't think this match, I think this DQ is perfect because I don't think people felt cheated. And, and watching it now, they certainly shouldn't because it's it's a really good finish. Uh, first of all, the low blow looks fantastic. That kick to the balls looks great. <laughs> um, and, uh, I mean, Guerrero just had enough, right? JBL brought the belt in. Eddie kicked him in the nuts while the ref's back was turned the ref turns around and he wails on him with the uh, with the belt. And I think it's a perfect DQ finish because, again, it delivers on that premise that we hear all the time of champion doesn't have to beat the challenger, the challenger has to beat the champion. Well, in this case, JBL outsmarted himself, right? That's yeah. the whole thing. And, he, and like you said, he's trying to do what Eddie does. He, he's, he, he's bringing the chair to distract the ref so when the ref's back is turning, he can grab the belt and use it. But you can't out, cheat the 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 guy who lies and cheats and steals and proclaims it proudly you can't out cheat eddie guerrero uh and he doesn't and that so it, it really it works on that level of you know when we talk about a lot of the best stories in wrestling in a wrestling match should always be about you know what are what are these what are the strengths of each of these characters and it's weird to say that the strength of the babyface is that he cheats better, but that's part of what's great about Eddie Guerrero is he made that work. That as a babyface, he was a better cheater than the heels. Um, which, you know, and people loved it. And people loved it because he was honest and open about it, I think, is a big element of it. He, he, he made no attempts to hide that he was a cheater. And, and he had a very likable character.
1: And I feel like, you know, like what we were talking about... About you know the video package up to this match, and you know talk about the story throughout the match. I feel like this finish ties in well with the whole story that they were tying ever since JBL became the JBL character and became the number one contender, and the heart attack angle to yeah you know, this finish. I feel like it all tells a story and ties in perfectly. And like you said, fans in the arena didn't feel cheated, and me watch this like a month later on DVD, I didn't feel cheated that Eddie Guerrero lost by disqualification. And I remember yeah. even in the video package in the backstage interview that JBL had earlier in the show that JBL guaranteed victory tonight. He didn't guarantee mm-hmm. he's a walker as champion. I think he may have said that line once, but he's guaranteed victory more than he guaranteed he's a walker as champion. Yep. So yeah, and, like he, that, and he that, won. So I feel like that ties in that story even more that this uh-huh. leads to a, a second match at the next pay per view, the Great American Bash.
3: Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
1: Then you know you were mentioning about the post match brawl. What's your thoughts on Eddie going?
3: And that's you know that's part of I think what makes it um, what makes the pe- people not feel cheated about it, right? Is that, yeah, Eddie, the, the match ends in a DQ, but Eddie really gets his revenge, um, f- you know, to a large extent for what happened to his mother, for all the stuff, that, you know, all the all stuff that JBL has been saying. Because uh, he just absolutely pummels him after the match. The ref, you know, stop, rings the bell, stops the match, and Eddie just kneels on his chest and punches him in the face And the ref tries to get him off again. They separate him. They do a big pull apart. Finley was a, you know, agent at the time. He comes out. They do this pull apart, and Eddie just dives right in and (laughs) keeps going after him. Hits him again with the belt, and you know, kneeling on his chest and punching him and all that stuff. And it's just, I mean, and you, it helps legitimize Eddie as champion as as someone who can go toe to toe with. I mean, not that beating Lesnar, I mean, really went a long ways to do that, anyways, but. Um, it's interesting, I think, that to me it was kind of interesting that they took the belt off of Eddie as sort of quickly as they did and never put it back on him, because this match goes a long ways to show that Eddie can stand with, you know, guys who are bigger and stronger than him Um, and JBL is afraid of him. By the end of this encounter, JBL is running from Eddie Guerrero, and uh, I think you have to do that. You have to um, you know, if you want to elevate someone, you have to do that. You have to get to a point where you can believe that. And the problem is that sometimes they get to that point and they stall out on it. Like I think Dean Ambrose was way overdue to be champion. I mean, I think that I, I've made no secret of the fact that I think Dean Ambrose is the best guy on the WWE roster right now. So I think he deserved to be champion for a long time. But uh they've had him built to the point where you know, you believe that whoever Ambrose is in there with, you believe that he's a contender because they did, they did such a good job of building him up from the time he was in the Shield until about a year ago. And then they got to a point where they were just spinning their wheels with him because everybody was like, when is this guy going to be champion? You know, he should be. And he was always in the. He'd float in and out of the title picture but they did that and with Eddie I feel like they sort of did it which is maybe a better way to do it honestly is they did it kind of after the fact or during you know like I said like we were talking about earlier nobody thought he was going to be Brock Lesnar I mean it's how you and I were both watching I was watching and I was work, I was wrestling at the time I was on shows I was you know privy to how wrestling shows are booked to the psychology that goes into it um yeah, and I didn't think that they were going to put Eddie over Brock Lesnar. Nobody thought they were going to put Eddie over Brock Lesnar. And by putting him over Brock Lesnar, you legitimized him. And then by having him be, not beat JBL um, in terms of winning, but physically beat JBL in this way, uh, you put him over even better. And I think that's probably a better way to do it. To, to, rather than have it be overdue as it was with Dean Ambrose, to have it be maybe a little bit premature, but, but give him that push in that moment. Um, as far as his placement on the card, and and so that people will will buy that person as a legitimate threat.
1: Do you feel like with how this match was booked and everything? Do you feel like this? Do you feel like you want to see a, a rematch
3: at the Great American Bash? Uh, uh, no, because I hate JBL. <laughs> okay, um, if,
1: if you didn't know the outcome that JBL is going to win the title that Gary Mayer can bash. Do you f- want to see those two have a rematch because of there, there being a disqualification in this match?
3: Um, yeah, probably. I mean, the disqualification is a pretty obvious setup for a rematch, right? Um, you know, JBL is justified even as a heel seeking a rematch on a DQ finish. Um, and I think that's that makes sense, Um you know, and also the SmackDown roster. Looking at the rest of this card, um, I don't know that who else you really would have, you know, who else you would have really put, Booker maybe, Booker T. You could have had challenge him, I guess, but, um, you know.
1: Lucas, if I remember correctly, the main event at the Great American Bash was, the Undertaker took on the Dudley Boys in a handicap match, and I think the storyline behind it was it, it was a concrete crypt match, and if Undertaker didn't do the right thing, Paul Hammond was a to kill, quote-unquote, Paul Bear in a concrete crypt.
3: <laughs> That's ridiculous.
1: That could be a possible and Shoe Ugly cast idea right there for you. Their
3: job. no kidding uh let's see here
1: i'll love to hear you and greg so, talk about that sometime
3: yeah well that may not be a bad idea um yeah so there's the texas bull rope match between eddie and jbl um and then yeah the final match <laughs> per the pre-match stipulation paul bear would be cemented in a glass crypt if the undertaker lost through the duration of the match, Bearer was locked on a chair inside a glass crypt with the pump of a cement truck above him. <laughs> uh, after after the match, Undertaker pulled the lever to the cement truck, which filled. Oh, so he, he buried Paul Bearer anyways. Yeah. Apparently at the end. Okay. Like I don't a, remember that. Was that the last time we saw Paul Bearer for, for a few years now?
1: 'Cause like mm. I said, I think that'll be a great Bull and shoe ugly cast podcast with
3: you and Greg. Yeah, probably. I mean probably wouldn't be bad. That's that sounds like it's not a spectacular match. <laughs> well, it's a bullsh- sounds like a Bull and shoe ugly match. Yeah, well, it definitely does. I'll I'll talk to Greg about that. Or not talk to Greg because, you know, he does he doesn't like to be spoiled on what sort of tortures I'm gonna put him through.
1: <laughs> well, I guess he, guess he
3: guess you should listen to the end of this podcast then. Yeah, right. Right. uh yeah so that sounds terrible um i don't know why they wouldn't have put on eddie and jbl after well, i guess because they had the stupid concrete crypt that they had to deal with
1: yeah so, i assume that's the only reason why they didn't put jbl and eddie at end of the night yeah so how can uh, the listeners of the podcast find you joe on twitter and elsewhere
3: Uh, you can find me on Twitter at shake underscore well, or you can check out my wrestling podcast feed, which is where I also often tweet about wrestling. If that's what you're interested in hearing my thoughts on, which is at what underscore a underscore maneuver. Um, and that is for the, what a maneuver, uh, podcast, which is a week by week. Look at the Monday night wars era starting with, we started on January 1st, 1996 and we are currently up through um, we're in we're in May of 1998 right now. So if you want, and I, we started considerably before the WWE Network existed. So if you you know uh, want to, but if you want to watch along with us on WWE Network and hear our thoughts, you can go to uh, whatamaneuver.onthestick.com. dot stick dot com. And uh, wait, or is it? Let me double check that. I think it's. I think that's correct. Yeah, what dot the com. Um and you can you can listen to our download and listen to all our episodes there or you can um uh subscribe on iTunes.
1: And I did uh send out a you know a couple of tweets to get any questions and I did get one question for you, Joel, but we already answered it. I'm sorry, Bill Mercer, with her hashtag <laughs> world class screw job. I guess you got screwed <laughs> out of having your question answered for the podcast. Yeah. It's like Bill Mercer's been uh, pretty popular on what a maneuver lately.
3: Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. He's... I, <laughs> is he still alive, I wonder? I feel like I, we talked about this and there's a shooter. There was a recent... Yeah, recent I think, is I think last injury. time
1: I had both you and Eric on the podcast, I think shortly after, you, one of you guys sent, uh, uh, I think, a tweet to both Beverly Hills and I about that that uh, Bill Mercer did a you shoot You shoot DVD or something like that?
3: Yeah, something like that. (laughs)
1: Well, thank you. Thanks again, Joe, for coming on the podcast.
3: Yeah, thanks for having me. And uh, I'm sure we'll do it again sometime. (laughs) Bouncing
0: off the announce table, Eddie Guerrero! Oh, wait a minute.
1: You guys just heard that chair shot that Joe Drilling and I talked about. And thanks again, Joe, for coming on. Follow him on Twitter at Shake underscore Well. That's his personal account. Or on his What A Maneuver account, What underscore A underscore Maneuver. Check out his podcast, What A Maneuver and Bowling Shoe Ugly Cast. Two podcasts I greatly appreciate and greatly enjoy. Guys, I hope you enjoyed this podcast. You guys can follow me on Twitter at Dirty Dog. M-E-S. That's dog as in D-A-W-G at Dirty Dog. M-E-S. You guys can listen to the Doghouse Podcast over at, at our website. MadeEventStatus.com Again, that's MadeEventStatus.com Guys can listen to us over on SoundCloud. SoundCloud.com slash MadeEventStatusRadio Again, that's SoundCloud.com slash MadeEventStatusRadio. We're also on iTunes. Search out Either the Dog House Podcast or Made Event Status Radio. Hit the subscribe button. Please write and review the shows. Help us move up the charts. We want to be in tag team contention with the What a Maneuver Master Feed. Because I guess this is under the Made Event Status Radio Master Feed. For Joel Drilling, I'm the Dirty Dog Darcy. I bid you guys adieu.
0: Shame to cry, ooh, baby Here I am, scientist, deliver I'm yours,
2: ooh, yeah ah, Well, I
0: said goodbye and now I'm back And now it's shame to cry, ooh.
3: You should get, get much more time than anyone else. That is our show. Good night, everybody.
0: That's so good. Thank you.